Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome to the program. My guest tonight is award-winning poet and author, Anna Castillo, a prolific writer. Her latest book is My Book of the Dead. Hello, Anna. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm quite well, and I'm glad to have you with me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, let's begin this journey. What is poetry, Anna? I'm sure your guest, and you've probably read many uh, profound uh, responses to that, and I don't know what I would add to to the the many definitions of, of poetry and poetry versus prose. But I was thinking recently that uh, poetry for me is almost like looking into the eye of a hurricane um, and, and the silence that you might feel at that moment uh, and staying in that moment. I have found uh, that if I get a line, you know, people ask, how do you start a poem? When I get a line, if I grab onto that line, it's like having caught something on a on your on your on your line on your fish on your fish line, and you don't know how big it's going to be. But if you don't follow it and you don't stay with it at that moment, you lose it. So it's it's got that that profound depth and greatness and possibility, but you have to catch it at that moment and you have to stay with it in that moment. And Absolutely. you know that's that's how I feel about writing poetry. That's absolutely beautiful. I've never heard it in all these years described that way, like a hurricane, this silence that you feel. Wow. Incredible. Thank you. Why then, knowing that it's incredible, why is it important for all of us to think about poetry? Um, I received, I was was very uh, uh, fortunate to receive um, an advance praise from um, a Turkish um, uh, scholar who, uh, from Bryn Mawr, who, who normally she says mo- normally she writes about prose, but uh, she was asked to comment on this book, and I and I've really uh, appreciated something she said, which is that I was offering in these times the consolations of poetry, and we feel right now, or at least I do, in terms of language, contemporary language. Um, that the word consolations almost sounds a little condescending, like mm. getting a consolation prize or an honorable mention, like I'm offering the consolations of poetry. But if we think of the word consolations as it has been used and traditionally used and poetically used, and I also hear it in my mind in Spanish, and I know it's used this way, it really is that the comfort that we, all of us, have been needing um, in the last two or three or four or five years, depending on, on what's been getting to you. Um, and there's been a lot, as you've, yes. as you've seen in the book. So yes. the consolations is that if you take this, this one poem or this book and you read it at night to yourself in bed, or you decide to read it to your family in the living room, or you take it to the first social gathering you go and you read it out loud, 
there is the comfort of hearing someone in that eye, going back to the what is poetry, in that eye of the hurricane, uh, being succinct about that moment that this was going on. And so I, I appreciate that. I thought it, it was also a consolation to me to be able to do it, to take one poem at a time during these times where, quite honestly, I didn't feel like writing at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could take one poem and I could work on it at two in the morning or whenever it was quiet and I could focus on something. And I would focus on that moment, on insomnia even, or how it feels like to be up at 2 a.m. and the world is quiet and you only hear your thoughts. So anyway, that's um, that's what happened. It brought me back to my writing, which for a while there I, I thought I wouldn't I wouldn't be working anymore because I was feeling so overwhelmed by everything. Yes, I can understand feeling overwhelmed. We're, there's so much happening in this world. The, the bigger world, the smaller world, you name it, there's just so much happening, so much happening. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, uh, going back to that, uh, to that line that the, this person wrote, uh, the constellations of poetry, you know, if we go back pre internet of course maybe even pre book writing when you had the bard going from town to town from village mm-hmm. to village singing or you know bringing news i feel that it's sort of like that it does it's because it's such a, a special way of working with language you have to stop and and really listen you know for me to write um, a novel or an essay versus a poem. So it is a very different process. And for me, writing poetry, um, if I were a, a metal worker, it would be like working with filigree. I have to get my, you know, my uh, lube out to, to look um, very closely and not spoil any of the precious metals and just do the right thing and repeat it and so on, find the motif. So... Anyway, that's, I feel that's what poetry can do. And I said this uh, recently in a podcast, and I said, well, I'm glad you like the poems and share it with your friends. And they mm-hmm. sent me um, some message that someone wrote and said, share it with your friends. Sometimes we forget that's what poetry is for, mm. to read you know, and share with people. Yes, I agree. Please share a poem. I'd be very happy to. I'd like to um, to read this evening. The lead poem in the book, um, it was written in 2015 uh, in memory of the wonderful activist, Native American activist, John Trudell, who, who crossed over at that time. He was, he was an activist, but he was also a poet. And so this poem is, is about him and about 2015. A storm is coming. It is on the horizon. It has traveled far, fast, wide ends taken much in tow. The storm, infused with lies and nitrogen, water, air, ground, infused, our fruit and animals infused, our minds infused with lies and nitrogen, we're dumbstruck. Believe ourselves smart when we are instead confused. The tricksters counted on our being caught unawares. They knew our selfishness, greed, most of all, fears. The storm approaches. Can you hear it? 999 hoof-like vibrations beat against our eardrums 
and we remain indifferent. We have our things gathered. Our children seem fine. We always rebound. The storm comes and goes, returns. Next time harder. We don't even bother with shelters. We give it new names each time. Further fire and rain. We mourn. We start again. It could have been you or me, we say, dying in public beneath a baton's blows, falling amid the spray of a sniper's bullets, but it wasn't. We go on. Disaster has happened to someone else. We venture out and buy more. We take more. We discard. We pillage the earth. The storms take sinister forms, go by isms, neo and post hyphenations. Be afraid, leaders of the faceless enemy warn. Be aware. Be aware when you travel. We cannot protect you. We will be vigilant of your whereabouts. Our watchful eye will know your life. Long lines to survive, much less thrive, lie before you. You'll feel shame like in naked dreams, but worse, because we, in fact, are watching you. We will make sure you don't question. And when the storm is upon you, when it has destroyed your homes and your children are not fine and your dreams of golden roses and bright days are nowhere but in the pages of a storybook, we will be content in our heavens eating peeled grapes, zipping fine wines from our vineyards of abundance, sitting on our thrones. New gods will smile down upon you, our creation of ruin. Pick our teeth with your bones. Thank you. Oh, wow. That was so powerful. Thank you. And that was 2015. That that starts the book. Most of the poems in the book uh, Mm -hmm. come after that, that year. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Well, I would say the usual suspects, and they're in all all the genres. I've I've written in almost I think all genres. All right. um, I I started very young, um, and my generation. I was a coming of age during the civil rights mu- movement, and as a brown girl in Chicago, I began to question uh, race and racism and um, uh, what that meant that would mean for me in my life and and once I got in college um, and was a young woman I added uh, very serious concerns as a woman and and as time went on I connected it to sexuality and uh, and social justice and um, disparity economic disparity not only in this country but also around the world um, I have I have strong connections to Mexico, and so I did spend a lot of time my whole life um, in Mexico, going back and forth, and as well as other places in Latin America. So those are things that have expanded um, uh, globally and have continued and into uh, being concerned about um, climate change and uh, um, eco justice and so forth. So all of those are things that that are recurring in this book as they have been in, in my novels and in my nonfiction. 
Was there a specific early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? You know, when I was about 19, 20, I was in um, State University School, and I was uh, majoring to be um, an art teacher. That's what I kind of settled on at that time. And then something happened, and I started writing poetry, and I was very comfortable with it, and, and even reading it, and I was a very shy woman, so I was sounding to my family that I, I was doing this, and I decided at that time that I would, um, this would be the medium. But one day, my mother was in my audience years later, after I began to write novels and, and had success in poetry as well and so on, and she stood up in the auditorium of that same university and turned around and told the whole audience that, in <laughs> fact, I had started writing since I was like knee-high. Mm. And I, when I thought about it, uh, she was absolutely right. And I do remember the first things that I wrote that we could describe as poems, perhaps, if somebody, if an adult had read them, perhaps. Um, I wrote when I was um, nine years old, when my grandmother passed, and, and that, that, that sparked, um, that urge in me to write like that. When you say write like that, tell me more about that. Remember when I said about being in the moment, staying in the yeah. moment in the eye of the hurricane, and I was, um, a, I, first of all, I was already a, a quiet child and, and, and living in a time and in a culture in which children should be seen and not heard. And um, my, my grandmother was my second mother, and it was very... Uh, it, it was uh, earth-shattering for me to lose her, but um, no one asked me how I felt about it. No one ever talked to me about it. And so this was a way in which I began to express that that chaos that was going on for me um, in, in, a, in a way that, I, that came naturally to me. I'm very fortunate that uh, writing is, a, is an easy expression for me. Mm-hmm. And I think I had some success with it because I recall when I wrote the, these little things and I was in the school playground at Reese's and the, uh, reading it to the other children and they were all asking me <laughs> to, write, to write one for them and write one for my mother, write one for me. <laughs> so I think that, that kind of uh, got me going. As you think about your body of work, how does the poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? It, it begins with the, with the line, with the phrase. And I've lost many because I just haven't bothered to write it down. And as any, anyone who's written or, or tried to write or, or made poetry in their life knows, once it comes to you, you better write it down. Middle of the night, get up, write it down. You're on the train, find a piece of paper. You're, you're in a restaurant, write it on the paper napkin. Uh, so I've lost some of them, but I, I have thought about this question and it's, a, and it's wonderful when a line comes, and it is like that fish on the hook, and you don't know what comes after that. And, it, and, there, and there you go. I did that one summer, and it ended up being an entire novel in verse. I just oh, wow. didn't let it go. I just kept, I kept at it, and six weeks later I had a book <laughs> and tercets. <laughs> I just wouldn't let it go. I would to take breaks and go walk the dog or go get a cup of coffee or something, and um, you know, now it's there. It just had its 10th anniversary. It's out there. 
and and I did it in tercets. So there's the there's the aspect of the idea or the image, however it is someone starts a poem, but now we must think, um, get serious and think of structure. And so that's mm-hmm. what happened. I decided on on that form. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? You know, when I was um, um, well, I've always loved to read. You know, I went to Chicago public schools, and I loved library time. And uh, but the books that I read, even into high school, were written by usually white people, almost mm-hmm. always, quite often men, white men. But they were also people of certain privilege and certain background. I was 11 years old in my little school in in Chicago public school when I read Little Women. And so, you know, I can connect perhaps as an adolescent, but I'm not connecting in my background, in my culture, in my, the way I look and the life I'm having. So when I got um, older, uh, my late teens and early 20s, I began to search for people, uh, who, writers who connected a little better with me. And some of those were early 20th century uh, bohemian writers, uh, Anais Nin, Henry Miller, that whole group um, that was the expats. Um, and also what was happening at that time was Toni Morrison with The Bluest Eye yes. and, uh, and the Latin American boom. They were Latin Americans writing in Spanish. They were the only Latinos at that time in trans- being published in, in the United States. Uh, so I could connect with that, some of that culturally. With the Nizanin, I could connect with her Catholicism and her observing the difference between herself as an artist and the men that were around her. And mm-hmm. so I started to patch together um, writers and thinkers that would speak to me in, in different aspects of my, what was my identity. And they're still very important to me. Uh, uh, James Baldwin, Baldwin was uh, huge for me, also in teaching me how to write essays, which, I mean, he's speaking of uh, great writers and giants. Yes. Uh, so um, I learned to write essays by reading essays, essayists that I admired. He was one of them. And a thousand years later, I had the good fortune also of assigning his essays to my graduate uh, classes to, to study um, uh, the transitional phrase and, and ideas and how to put our, you know, our ideas down. Mm-hmm. If there was someone that you would wish would serve as your mentor, which poet would it be? From now or from oh, histor- historically? Yeah, to be my mentor, gosh, that, that would be such a great gift. To, if someone was willing to be my mentor, um, I, I sometimes wonder what, um, and he, and unfortunately he died quite young, and that was Garcia Lorca. Um, uh, I studied him early on before I had great aspirations as a poet. I studied him in Spanish, as I did Neruda. Um, uh, but I, I think he had a joie de vie that I would also like to be mm. around him to have that too. <laughs> So if I could if I could have known somebody at that time that might have been him because I know that he had a great enthusiasm for life and and brilliance and I I, I would just even if he didn't mentor me I'd like to be 
in a, in a salon one evening hearing him uh, just have a conversation with somebody else if he wanted to. All right. Please share another poem. Um, I'll be happy to. And I'm going to share a poem that I wrote in Spanish. Um, it was written about the um, Parkland High School massacre. It was Valentine's Day. And uh, I'll read it in Spanish first, and then I'm going to um, share the translation here. It's called Gotas Caían en el Techo. Tic, 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 tic. Una puñalada en el pecho del país. Y la noche no pestañaba ese San Valentín. Un tic, tic, tic caía en el techo. Y nadie dormía, ni yo, ni mi amor, ni el perro. Con las noticias del último masacre, 17 hijos perdieron sus vidas. Alumnos, poetas, líderes del futuro. Fueron 17 almas esa vez. 17. Cuéntalos en sus ataúdes, que nunca llegaron a su madurez. Diecisiete hijos e hijas, cuenta si se puede, las lágrimas de los padres y del pueblo, el terrorismo doméstico con tanta frecuencia, en un lugar que se llama democracia, ha hecho la muerte banal, empezó hace siglos atrás, Hombres con armas, odiosos de la humanidad, amantes del poder. Ahora se quitan la máscara, el disfraz, con la bendición del señor presidente. Tic, 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 caían las lágrimas del cielo, y nadie dormía, ni yo, ni mi amor, ni el perro. And now I'll share the poem in, in, um, in English, and I want to thank... Um, a person who came forth when I put um, the word out on social media to see if I didn't want to translate my own poems. Um, So I I put the word out and I got numerous responses. And this poem was translated with with a little bit with my assistance by a a poet himself, it's Tahimba Jess. And he really surprised me and said, "I'd, I'd like to give it a shot. And so this is his translation. And the name of the poem is Drops Fell on the Roof. Tick, 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 a stab in the chest of the country. And the night didn't blink that Valentine's Day. A tick, tick, tick fell on the roof. And no one slept, not my love, not the dog, not me. With the news of the latest massacre, 17 children lost their lives, students, poets, leaders of the future. It was 17 souls that time, 17, count them in their coffins that will never grow older, 17 sons and daughters. Count, if you can, the screams of the parents and the people, domestic terrorism so rampant in a place that calls itself democracy, that has made death banal. It began centuries ago, men with weapons, haters of humanity, lovers of power. Now they take off their masks, their costumes with the blessing of Mr. President. Tick, 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 drops fell from the sky, 
and nobody slept, not my love, not the dog, not me. Thank you. Wow. What about that incident made you want to write about it in a poetic way? Well, I don't know what else, you know, when we lose, <clears throat> when we lose a, a, a child, mm-hmm. you know, the, the expression that it takes a village. Well, you know, the world is one village and we, and all children belong to us. And so when we lose a child, we can't help but go to poetry or to song, to music mm-hmm. or to the sky or to the stars. And so I happen to be, um, that's Santa Fe. Um, that's that's Saint Valentine's Day in Santa Fe. It was a, kind of a dreary day with snow, rainy, and and you know you're thinking, well, you know, I'm going to make the best of it. Um, but um, you hear this news, and I am a mother, and I'm also now a grandmother, and so. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you, but um, my heart. My heart goes out to every mother, every every grandparent, every godparent, every auntie, when I, every teacher, when I hear this, um, you know, we now have uh, bulletproof backpacks, you know. I mean, what does that tell you of the times that we live in? So yes. the only place I could go to on that day and that moment and that situation was internally. And again, as I've said earlier, you stay in that moment. And I repeat in the poem 17, because we have to think about that. It mm-hmm. would be hor- horrific to have one or two or five or four, but we have 17 children that were lost to this country because of this random violence. And all the families and all the friends and all the neighbors and all the teachers that are affected that day, but there we will see 17 coffins. And so I repeat that number so that we, we take it in. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was our family, our home, and 17 members in our family were, were murdered, we'd never, no one, we wouldn't get over it, and generations to come wouldn't get over it. So, um, so that's why I went to poetry. And as I said, I was, I was experiencing a lot of things that were going on personally and globally and nationally on a very personal level. And the only place I could go to would be to poetry mm. wow. and, and to reading poetry as well. So um, it, it, it's just being in that moment and, that, uh, and, that, and the filigree of language. Wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Anna Castillo. Her new book is My Book of the Dead. Please share another poem. Well, thank you. I want to change the, the tone a little bit. Um, I, I enjoy enormously reading, as most poets should, and, and, and aspiring novelists and so forth. Uh, a couple of my favorites are uh, Bukowski and um, Roberto Bolaño, who had a was like every was crazy popular a few years ago, and I started ordering everything I could. And then I had read Bukowski years and years ago. I, w- I had discovered his poetry, but then I started reading his fiction. Now these, um, despite their talents and their brilliance as a feminist. I also found them to be bad boys. Yes. And so one night I, I um, wrote a poem called Two Men and Me. I left Bukowski again, went back to Bolaño. Both men bad to their women. Me, like the rest, couldn't get enough. Both smoked and drank themselves to death. They liked it rough. Said that was how they got their best writing done. One winter, we all ended up in hell, ran into each other at a, ca- at a cafe, parentheses, revision, bar, public bath, fill in the blank. Chuck wanted to fuck. Roberto punched him in the gut. We quaffed a few whiskeys. They knew, I knew. I wasn't that kind of gal. Instead, we set out to do a three-way poem. Tu primero, said Bolaño. What, Bukowski said, no comprendo. How fucked up you gotta be, you can't understand Spanish even in hell. Roberto was mad. You illegals, the others started racial, racializing the situation. No wonder he was in hell. Then again, we all were. I'm not Mexican, pinche gringo, Roberto yelled, throwing another swing. This time he got me in the eye by mistake. There are no mistakes in hell, the demon bartender said, handing me some ice. That's the beauty of this place. The guys stopped. No one had ever seen ice in hell. Yeah, it was the start of something big. Thank you. (laughs) I like that. I know when I read it, I I chuckled then too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> As you think about writing poetry, does it energize or exhaust you? Well, gosh, no, not really. I think um, because the thing is about poetry, and don't and don't be fooled by its size. You know, despite right. my writing a novel in verse, if it's a short half paragraph, it doesn't mean that it doesn't torment you for a year trying <laughs> to get it right. Um, but I, I would say overall, uh, writing poetry energizes me. I, it only it only depletes me if I don't have it right. If I can't, I'm frustrated. Okay, tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah, about about the language, um, about the idea, and putting this uh, collection together. For example, I worked alone. Um, I don't belong to a writers group. Um, Maybe your listeners might be interested in that. I don't share this with the closest people in my life, with my 
partner or my son or, you know, my best friend. I, I was working on my own. And um, I also made executive decisions on my own as I was um, uh, organizing the poetry. And so I would very mercilessly throw out poems that I just can't get right. And that means that something about that line, something about that word, if the assonance or the eternal assonance isn't there, if the thought doesn't quite, because you're working with filigree, if you can't get it right, it's very different than working with prose, which is you got a lot of space to say, well, I got like a whole page here. I can get to my thought. You only have a second to get to your thought. And so I, um, that's what I mean. That can frustrate me and depress me if I'm not getting it right. But um, when it's when it works, I get I'm like I'm you know, I'm like high. It's like I want to read it to everybody. I'd like to you know, um, share it. I, I I feel it's it's right there. I've captured that moment. Right. All right. So what do you think is the most difficult part of the artistic process then? Um, I I have always been, um, according to my mother, if she were here, I've <laughs> been a very disciplined child. Uh, okay. So I think I've always been disciplined, but I think the hardest thing for what I see, and I've, I've given countless of workshops uh, in this country and in other countries, uh, sometimes with a translator, and um, over over decades, and so I've seen a lot of people who want to write, or who are being forced to write. If it's a university uh, class, maybe they have to take it. But usually, it's people that come on their own. And I think the hardest thing is discipline. I see people wanting to do it, but they don't do it. I see right. people starting to do it, but they don't finish it. And so staying with it is probably the hardest for most people, and including for myself sometimes. I've, I have a lot of bottom drawer manuscripts, if you will, that I just couldn't get, it, get them right. Uh, but um, uh, once you do stick to something, there's a, so much satisfaction um, to finishing it. Um, and so I think that would be, that would be my, my sense of it. All right, all right. Please share another poem. Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, this poem is, um, I'm not going to say anything about it. It's just it's a poem that I wrote at a uh, particular time, and it's called When Snow Turns to Rain and It Is Still Winter. I am a Bedouin woman, burka weighs and drags, Goats graze lazily along red stone, my gaze afar. He was a cheerful boy, my son, the poet, grew tall like the poplar with eyes fiery as embers, my son. I mutter, as if he just left the room, scent of his soap lingering, my son, I start each conversation as though my heart were whole as a pomegranate clinging to its branch, alive, my son. Writes verses and lives like a monk among hyenas. He prays, meditates, say it, my son, locked behind 
walls. I once climbed the jagged hills of Petra, hid within its caves. My son sleeps on a piss-stained bunk, once a boy who had a warm bed, milk, the breast of his mother upon which to rest his head. He read books and played with other children. On the phone now, men are loud and he shouts, Ma, my son, each bead I pray upon at dawn has his name. My lips murmur, God in your heaven, the chittering of birds, the desert floor, all the same. Why does the world not long for him as I? God made us strong, this thing called mother. The rain and torrents are Mary's tears that cleanse the weary. My son, soon my eyes will be illuminated with your presence. Thank you. Mm. Anna, tell me about that piece. Yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> I don't Whatever know what I like want to, to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever comes to mind that you'd like to share. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, let's talk about it from, from writing poetry All right. point of view. Yes. Um, people have asked me, for example, in the past, is it okay if I'm not a Chicana and I can identify with your poetry? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm writing as a Bedouin woman, and some of my poems, a few of my poems in this book, are persona poems that I take on that, that person. Um, uh, I am a mother. Um, I have been to Petra. I do. I oh, did wow. climb those caves and those wow. and those nice. places, and so those, <laughs> the images are real for me. But it doesn't. It, in in a way, if it's successful poetically, it almost doesn't matter. You know, people mm-hmm. do talk about the uh, authenticity of of the voice and the image, and write only about what you know. And um, at the end of the day, I guess it's not only what you know in poetry and and also in fiction. It's what you feel. And um, so I, I, I feel very strongly, as I mentioned early, earlier with the previous poems, uh, I feel very strongly as a mother and as a woman, as a mother of a brown man. Um, and uh, I, I merged all of those experiences together um, to, uh, to, put this, uh, to, to write this poem uh, at this time. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in 2013. 2013. You know, I have a habit of, and I'm sure it's most people, many people rather, of reading the titles of the poems first to see what strikes my fancy. Your poems have amazingly detailed titles. What role should a title play for a poem? You know, that's um, that's funny you're asking that um, this evening because I am working on, um, I've gone full throttle back to my writing and I'm uh, almost done with a collection of short stories and I am I'm feeling like the worst titler in the world <laughs> can't come up with a title oh, really? for the life of me. I've got all these stories and these lines and I can't come up and people are always saying well you get the best titles uh, and so uh, and then they always say well just use the first line uh, or use the last line that'll that'll work um, mm-hmm. and uh, that works sometimes um, 
two men and me obviously was about two men and me i didn't have to i didn't go use the first or last title so um it has to feel right for you once again it has to be right for you something resonates in the so if you can't wrap it up with something like that maybe you know maybe a line in there will work and and then people have fun you know getting into it and oh okay i get it now so um I'm I'm happy that the titles work, but I do give them um, a lot of thought, mm-hmm. uh, and I I do feel that um, a, a poem or, or or a story in progress really needs to be named. Once you give it birth, you don't you know send a child off to school and say, well, I haven't thought of a name yet, you know. So right. once you you know <laughs> we're going to call them something one day. <laughs> So, so once you send it out there, you got to have a name, and it better be a good one. And so, right. so that's how, so that's how it happens for me. You know, as you know, this is a call-in show, and we had a caller, but they signed off. We almost had a caller, so <laughs> you're really popular tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake. All right. What would be some of the ingredients that go into that particular cake if it's a poem? Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> we I do did it all mention that line. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm, and I'm and I'm thinking and I'm busy thinking about the cake. Like, oh, nice, you got me thinking about cake. What do I got in the pantry? Um, so, and it doesn't have to be a sweet cake. No, it doesn't. I think you should add that too. <laughs> one of those organic vegan cakes that people are like, oh, this is, I had one of those for one of my birthdays. And so, but, so it has to be good for you. Right. So right. Um, I did mention that, I did mention that, um, that, that line, that line has to, and it has to draw you in and then it hopefully it draws, draws your, uh, a reader in, you know, you're pulling them in. I'm pulling you in to this world right now. And in this space, and this amount of words, um, I see a lot of poetry right now um, in, in journals and periodicals that feel a lot to me more like prose and broken down lines. So, right. but what I'm talking about, I'm not judging that poetry. But what I'm talking about is a line that that's there, uh, and that line doesn't have to have a period. It's an image. It's a thought. It's something that's like you could walk away with it and that would be the the foundation i guess that would be your flower you know so then you start to work with other things i tell my i've told people in my workshops and in my classes metaphors are very important and it's wonderful if you do come up with one as long as it's original mm. if it's not original best to keep that out if right. it's a cliche, for sure, don't have it in there. If it's on its way to being a cliche, have you know, don't say. I said earlier at the end of the day, if you don't say something in your poem about the end at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> look for original ideas, original ways to say things that have been said a million times before. And so we're really being very picky about about our language and our imagery, and. Um, Capturing the moment, and that moment doesn't have to have an answer. It could be a question without an answer. I think people get stuck with the last line. Mm-hmm. You know, at the last line, I have to. It's like a punchline. It doesn't have. There doesn't have to be a punchline. It's that moment, and if you've caught it, 
just like, you know, I watch the sunset out here uh, quite often, and it's so beautiful every single day. Uh, but it, And, you know, sometimes I think, well, I'm going to run out and take a picture of it. If I think for three minutes, much less five, and I don't get out there, I'm going to miss it. Yes. You know, so you want to catch that moment, and that's all you need to do. If you catch it succinctly and the reader is captivated and they walk away with it and there's a line in there or a word you've used, then I think you've been successful. Oh, wow. That was a great cake. It's a great cake. <laughs> yeah, we... feel maybe a little coffee, <laughs> Turkish coffee. <laughs> we have a couple of callers. We have a couple of callers, Anna. Let's oh, bring these people on. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it was going to be fun. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Eric, 773, the first three numbers are 372. You're on the air with Anna. Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me? Yes. Pretty good. Thank you for calling. Hey, Mom, you yeah. sound great up there. I just wanted to congratulate you on your uh, on your new book, and thanks for reading uh, some, you know, some of your latest creations for us. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Do you have a the question? host is really doing a good job. Um, right. Well, I I didn't really have a question, but yeah, I remember seeing a lot of these poems in formation when I'd visit her in New York, and it was it's cool to see the draft kind of become their final, you know, their final uh, draft because you know, you know, when you're admiring an artist, you're like, well, how do they know when it's complete? And I guess it just kind of speaks spoke to her, and they're like, okay, this one's finished. This one needs a little more work. You know? Yeah, you know, was, every time exciting. I think about, you, uh, yeah, that's a good question about the, when do you know when a poem is done? And, you know, as, as, a, as a young uh, poetry lover uh, reading Walt Whitman, I, I, I've never forgotten that he had so many editions of Leaves of Grass. And I feel like, you know, I, I get him now, you know, that he would go yeah. back and tweak and change and tweak. So, it may, might never be done to you because you, you're a different person every year or you've changed your thoughts or ideas. So, But at some point, if you have an editor, if you're going to publish it, they'll, they'll pull it away from you and they'll say, it's time. It's time to let go. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's a beautiful way to put it because I feel like a, a lot of art, like a you know, musician, it's like, okay, this album, this album, but people don't know there was like three other takes of the same song, you know, to be like, you know, this one, I like this part, the other part, I like this part. So that's exciting to think that you can revisit stuff like you did with Massacre of the Dreamers where you did like a 25th anniversary. It was like, you know, now you can kind of like update some of the research and talk about how things have changed, how things haven't changed, you know. Like, it seems kind of like a time machine in that sense, yeah. Right. Yes, thank you. All right. Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> you got it. Have that's a great night, guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good evening. Love you. You too. <laughs> Area code 630. The first four numbers are 467. You're on the air with Anna. Good evening. Well, hello, Anthony. Michael. Hello. Michael Johnson. How are you doing? Michael Lee Johnson. Hello, Michael Lee Johnson. How, How you are doing, you, buddy? sir? I'm doing well. Well, you, you know, still? I only caught on to the last 15, 20 minutes here. In fact, I just, you know, I'm just catching on a little bit. I was intrigued uh, basically by finding out that she originally was from the Chicagoland area, you know. But uh, just real shortly, picking up on that last uh, 
that last phone call and her comments, uh, Anna, uh, related to, you know, different versions and whatever. I have uh, some poems that actually go up to version 8, believe it or not, and uh, it's over the years, and I started writing in, what, 1967, I think. But, you know, I just thought about it when I was listening there that, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. One of them is you simply get older and look back at some of your childish poetry. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's not so good. Uh, But you go back and, you know, for whatever reason, change a few words, change uh, whatever. The other thing, too, is oftentimes I would get uh, editor suggestions, and I learned to sort of take those seriously because I don't have to follow those editor's suggestions. But if they improve what I think the quality of the poem is, I make that another version. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, Anna, and I don't know if you do uh, video poems. I do a lot of them on YouTube. But I found out that if I practice vocally uh, before I finalize a poem. I often see many of the errors there because I can go back and hear them, feel them, sense them, and see, quite honestly, some of the stupidities of my errors. Have you ever had that <laughs> well, experience, Anna? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, thank you for your call, and I'm, uh, and I'm glad that, that this was brought up. And um, we often uh, talk about poet, whether poetry should be read as in silence, you know, to yourself, or reading it out loud, and and that's a, a, an excellent point, is reading out it out loud, and anything. I, I've read I've read my my novels in progress out loud to myself. I always do that so that I can catch those places where the commas have been misplaced and the pauses are off and the words are misspelled and so on. The poetry is um, particularly um, special in that sense, uh, so I would say that. Um, if even if it's just to yourself, you can catch a lot just by reading it out loud, um, and you know. Or if you if you're lucky enough to have a friend or somebody that that wants to hear you read it for the tenth, twelfth, fifteenth time, you know they they might catch something that you're you're not seeing anymore. Ironically, I don't have uh, that friend. I mean, well, I shouldn't say I don't have that friend list, but I don't, eh, not really. I don't have that many friends. You know, on the other hand, I don't have any. Well, I have maybe one person that has an interest in poetry, but you know how that goes. But anyway, the bottom, the bottom line of all of that is, what am I thinking There's about There's a poem here? right there. Well, sort of. Give me a break. But anyway. By the way, you're about my age. What a handsome-looking lady you are. Handsome is reserved for men. Isn't that correct, Michael? Yes, it is. My husband's listening to the show, by the way. (laughs) Michael always knows I have a sense of humor hidden back behind Michael is the man. Yeah, not really. You know, but, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, and at a certain point, at a certain point, you just, like you're saying... You know, there's no end to this. But one of the beauty, uh, beauty, at least I find in poetry, is that you do have, guess what, the freedom of doing what you want, what subject you want, changing what you feel like. You may get criticized for it, but you know what? We're not in this for the money because we're not getting rich. They're going to remember yeah. it's only after we're cremated. You know. Well, remember, so, well, I, think about the fact that I, I announced to my parents after college I was going to be a poet. <laughs> you know, my older sister was going into business, and she was downtown in Chicago, and 
And I said, well, I'm going to be a poet in the dead silence that fell, fell around the room there. Well, she probably says you're starting out as an alcoholic early, right? <laughs> you know. No, I don't but, think uh, they had any sense of uh, of the the association with uh, with writers and alcohol. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother actually got, yeah. liked my mo- my mother actually liked poetry, and she would quote um, you know poems in Spanish to me. But you know, they she thought of uh, of uh, writers uh, as the uh, you know from the Bohemian era era you know, from the early 20th century. And so she she thought of me as I progressed and became successful, and, and she traveled to Well, you know, at least she got some encouragement. She was from That's unusual from a, from a, from a you know, oh, well. I, you, know, I, you know, I'm 73, I'll soon be 74. So, I mean, you've got a few more years to go before you become an adult, okay? But I think we're sort of in that same era my daddy was a factory worker. My mommy worked in a hospital washing dishes. They weren't really into that too much. So, you know, if you had a mother, that that was that enlightened. I think you were sort of a lucky person. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. My mother worked in a factory, but she liked poetry. All well, right. you know what? But uh, but that, isn't that sort of encouraging? Yes, it is. Yes, All of course. You know, well, thank you, Michael. Yep, thank you, Michael. buddy. <laughs> Right, my friend. <laughs> Have a good evening. Good Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Well, it's all right. I, you know what? I'm gonna. You get a couple more minutes, and I'm gonna just get off the phone here and listen on the other end. Talk to you all later. All right, Bye sir. Now. Thank you. All right. All right. Anna. Yes. Please Michael share another poem. <laughs> Please share another poem. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm looking for. Um, I'm looking for small, small, short poems. What about, re- what about reflection? I liked reflection. Well, I, I have a short poem, and, okay. and it's called, What is Your Writing Process? Okay. And I think this might, you know, speak to a, a subject on your program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is your writing process? This is a question most writers and, and, and poets get asked and teachers with mop in one hand cocktail in the other at 9 a.m. or night flies swatted roach corpses swept Lola Bertrán belts mi ranchito through house speakers from room to room I hum off key mares fed dogs let out sun beating on the flat roof, moon rising behind a cloud, verses take form. Thank you. So, what, I, mean, I know a lot of, I see a lot of things on, on social media where people say, yeah, it sounded really good when I was taking a shower, the, the writing I was doing, and then when I went to, the, to write it down, it left my head. And that's really what the writing process is. It comes to you uh, in the middle of housework or, uh, you know, in the shower or washing dishes, you know, uh, doing something else. It comes to you, and then it's like, oh, now I've got to go find some, got to, you know, get a pen or my iPad and start working. All right. We'll be right back, okay? Take one brief break here before we end tonight. One last break with Anna, and we'll be right back. Thank you. 
We are back. I am here with Anna Castillo. Anna, question for you before we yes. go. Your book, My Book of the Dead, what did you learn about yourself writing this book? Well, thank you for asking that. Um, I, um, I have learned about, once again, about my resiliency. Mm. I, um, I felt... Uh, and I've, I've uh, mentioned this uh, a few times uh, with interviews recently, and I think it's very important to talk about. I fell into a very deep depression uh, starting around the elections of 2016 into 2017. And um, I thought I would not write anymore. I have oh, five novels published. I've published uh, critical essays and personal essays and um, so on and so forth, but I, I, it stopped for me. And then 2018, on New Year's Eve, I decided that I could write or finish writing this book of poems, one poem at a time. And so I would say it, it's resiliency. I've come too far to turn back now. So, mm. um, so and it's, you take one step at a time, and you feel the accomplishment of each poem. And so it taught me that. Um, and, it, and it's also teaching me that um, no matter how, uh, no matter what is going on, you know, how small my voice may be in this world as a brown woman, as a woman of Mexican descent, uh, um, indigenous background, of, of not great economic means or influences, uh, that I have power in this, in this little voice, in this, yes. these little poems. They give me strength and power personally. And then when I hear from one person, and it doesn't matter who, where it comes from, someone I don't know, it, it, I feel my job is done. Mm. That says I, I connected with that. It changed my life. Um, I had um, a young woman say to me once that reading one of my books not only transformed her life, she she went on and became a, a physician, a doctor. And I've heard that n- numerous times since then, and, and, I, and I'm so impressed. I'm like a happy mom to hear that. But wow. um, that's what, what, that's what um, the book taught me, that uh, amidst the death of thousands of People were dying a day last year. Um, yeah. I suffered many personal losses and challenges like so many people, and we were having natural catastrophes, and the Amazon was burning. And yes. for me to say I'm going to write a poem about that taught me that, I, that all of us have that power within us to rise up you know, like the phoenix and see a new day. That's mm. all we can do. All of us have to do that. Wow. So nicely stated. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? I don't know. I don't, don't know. know. I've, I've not. Honestly, I've not, you don't um, know. You don't know after no. all you've done. <laughs> after all you said. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, and again, I think about, I think about uh, mothers, and I think about a book that I read, Many, many, many years ago, an anthology about uh, by uh, mi- m- uh, Middle Eastern 
uh, writers, and I and um, something stuck with me, and it's been decades, uh, by a woman who said, I was born to be the mother of X, Y, whatever her son's name was, who was a poet. I came to this world to be the mother of this poet. And I thought, it's always stayed with me because I thought, what a beautiful, noble gesture to think, you know, this is the reason why you, you came into this world to be the mother of a poet. But for me as a poet, um, I'm not sure. I think that uh, it was a blessing. Uh, if I do it well on a certain day, I'm, I think that's good. I don't think I always do it well. But um, it, it, it was a decision for me to have a voice because mm. uh, many people from, from my background don't have a voice um, oh, true. or they get lost. So, yes. uh, and to be a poet is such a great honor because you have a voice. And so I'm not sure that I was born to be the the poet, but some days I'm lucky and I am, and some days, you know, we're we're busy doing other things. There's so much to do. Well, I think, based on what I know, what I've experienced during this hour and what I've read, that you were meant to be a poet. That's my... Oh, God bless you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll take that in this thank you, thank you Well I'd like to thank you for sharing Your time with me tonight um, This has been really nice Special more than you'll ever know Just hearing your voice I was going to ask you what is the difference Between your speaking voice and your written voice And I think maybe you've answered that already Do you think any, Are there any qualitative differences Between the two because you speak so eloquently Are there any differences between the two well, thank you for the eloquence uh, compliment, uh, but I, I do recommend people to use the voice that they're most comfortable with to yes. tell their stories, and this is my voice, um, uh, so I, 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 I don't know. If, if, it, if it works, and it works for some people, and maybe for others not so much, um, but um, uh, this is uh, this has been my my uh well it's uh it's it's a struggle because as a um as a person who was uh initially a spanish speaker it's mm-hmm. never left me and you know it's pointed out to me that i almost have like a different personality when i speak in english so oh, wow. but uh, but i do my best i do my best in english and i do my best in spanish so um, but I, but I thank you for your time and 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 I and most especially for appreciating poetry. Well, thank you. So good night to you. Be safe. Take care. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. All, all, good night, everyone. All the best to you. Yes, to our listening audience, as usual. Let poetry ring, and I'll talk to you next week. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.